yesterday I took a pretty big risk. Do you guys want to hear about it? Yeah. I took a pretty big risk yesterday. Before I tell you about that, I'm going to read a story for you. It's not that long. It's about a story about a woman named Heather. Heather's a single mom with three kids. She recently joined the church at Fountain Hill after several years of absence from the local church. While Heather's divorce from her husband precipitated her departure from Resurrection Church, there was another major factor. Stated simply, she had become sick of being a self-serving Christian. At Resurrection Church, she definitely noticed a positive difference since she became a member of the church at Fountain Hill. The people there were different at the new church. No, it wasn't a perfect church, but it was a place of joy and service. Better yet, she thought, it was a joyous church because the members were serving. Heather recently articulated her thoughts to her neighbor and friend, Rachel. You know, Rachel, she began, I've been trying to figure out the difference between the two churches. When I was at Resurrection Community, it was like eating all the time. You enjoy it for a little while, but then you eat too much and you get, you get sick and you long for real food. She continued, because I was a part of the in-group at Resurrection Community, I learned how to expect and demand things. The church was all about me, myself, and I. Frankly, I just got sick of being so self-serving. The change in Heather was noticeable to herself and to others. She says, I find so much joy in serving others, she said. That's how most of the members who are at my church are now. We don't because of some legalistic guidelines, we serve because we are motivated by joy to do so. Heather used to dread going to church on Sundays. Now she wakes up with anticipation about attending one short-term ministry each year. She serves in an area that energizes her, not in somewhere that has given her a guilt trip to participate. Indeed, membership as a whole is like the story of the church at Fountain Hill, They're sacrificial, they're self-serving, and more times than not, they say, I will, to ministry opportunities. If you have your Bible, you want to follow along, open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, and verse 20. And it reads like this, from God's word. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, came up to Jesus with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked him something, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And then they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who have been granted, have been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers, that's James and John. But Jesus called them to him and said, he's talking to them all, not just James and John and their mommy who made a request of Jesus. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not, not, not 
It shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the heart of all that the church is called to do, serve. Because at the heart of everything that Jesus came to do and to accomplish was service. Thinking of others more highly than he thought of himself. Now some of us get pretty proud of ourselves sometimes. Sometimes I get pretty proud of myself. And it's easy for me to think of myself more than I think of other people. But Jesus, can we agree on this? Jesus is better than us. Yeah? Right. Jesus is better than everybody. Yet, still, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So to be like Jesus, what I have to have is I have to have an attitude of service in my heart and in my life and in the things that I do to serve others, to worship God, to grow in the Word, to serve others, to be a disciple who loves God and others and bears fruit and equips others for service, who trains other Christians for service, for ministry, for the work that Jesus has called for us to do. Not to be served, but to serve and to give up my life on behalf of others that I think of more often than I think of myself. But I told you I took a pretty big risk yesterday, right? Let me tell you what it is. I drove all the way to the other side of Atlanta to Lilburn by myself and left my wife, who is almost 38 weeks pregnant, at home because the doctors say, stay here. There's hospitals everywhere, but you'd much rather have a baby at your hospital. So I went, I got to go to Lilburn. My uncle Jim passed away a couple weeks ago, uh, James Evans. And I got to go to his memorial service. I mainly went because my mom told me not to go. <laughs> so I got and I showed up and I surprised my mom. No, really, I wanted to go. And Jesse, we all wanted to go to honor my Uncle Jim's life. Jesse couldn't, but it worked out so that I could go. We had a couple of people on call in case something happened. Thanks to those folks that helped with that. But I took a risk and I went. And what I made sure to do to see all my family from Tennessee and Virginia and wherever they all live that were there yesterday to honor Uncle Jim's life. I went around and saw them all before the service in case my phone rang, in case I had to get up and leave because I wanted to say hello to Eric, um, Uncle Jim's youngest son, and Bob and Celeste and Lisa and Bernie, my cousins, Jim and Ellen Evans, children who are serving in ministries in different places. Eric's at his parents' home church in Virginia. Celeste serves at the University of Florida, serving as a uh, campus in the campus ministry with her husband, Bob, to the Gator fans, we all know they need Jesus, right? <laughs> at least in Bernie or in Johnson City, Bernie's an executive minister at a church around there. But I got around to see all of them, to see my cousins, one of which, my younger cousin Evan, I hadn't seen him since my wedding 10 years ago, so I got to say hey, and now he's an adult. And so I got to see him all, I got to say hey, and I got to hug on Ellen's neck. But it was a risk that I took. I'm not very risky in nature, so you guys probably take much bigger risks in life than I do. But me taking a risk was driving to Lilburn an hour and 15 minutes away in hopes that I didn't have to just get home in 45 minutes to the hospital and uh, 
meet Abigail. And she's coming soon, and we're praying for that. And we appreciate you guys praying for us as well. But the really phenomenal thing about going to the memorial service for my Uncle Jim yesterday was it was the most meaningful worship experience that I have had in a while. And you don't really think that, hey, I'm going to come to a service and worship. Like, normally we think, hey, you're going to go to a funeral. We're gonna, there'll be a song, and somebody will talk, and there'll be a song, and somebody will talk. There'll be a song, and there'll be somebody to talk, because that's kind of how we do things. But what happened is we got together at Lilburn Christian Church, and I learned things about my Uncle Jim. I was trying to figure out why that they had it in Lilburn, because they lived the majority of their life in East Point next to Uncle Jim. A couple decades. But what I learned about the different people that got up and spoke on behalf of my uncle. About the influence that he had in their lives. And I learned things about my uncle Jim that I never knew. I learned about the influence that he had on some that were very influential in my own life. Three of my Bible college professors got up and spoke at Uncle Jim's service yesterday and directly attributed their desire to know the Word of God to Jim Evans. They said Jim, as demanding as he was in his Greek classes, prepared me more so for ministry than many of the other things that I did. As Uncle Jim liked to say, as I shared in Sunday school, Greek is the language that God chose to communicate the gospel to us. So there's something special about studying it. And it's not just about head knowledge, but it's about heart knowledge and about living that out. And that's what every person that got up and spoke said. That's what his son, Eric, got up and said. That's what why Huxford, one of the vice presidents at Point University, one of my theology professors at Point, got up and said. That's what Dr. Hooks, the Old Testament professor at Atlanta Christian College, got up and said that it's because of Jim Evans that I have a desire for ministry. A couple others got up and spoke as well. As we started the service for Uncle Jim, like I said, all of their stories, some of which I had heard before, a lot of which were new, because you see Uncle Jim married Ellen. Ellen is my mom's oldest sister. They're 17 or 18 years apart. Mom says it different every time, so nobody knows how many years they really are apart. Mom's the baby of five. So it's almost like they had two families, two older kids and then three younger kids. So what I always saw in my head was Uncle Jim. He was already retired by the time that I could remember and know him best. But what I got to hear were stories about his life and how he together with Aunt Ellen, his partner in ministry, his partner for the kingdom, how they influenced people for Jesus. How what they always tried to do, and nobody's perfect. We like to try to paint this perfect picture of people at, at their funerals because it's a nice thing to do. But what I heard from so many of them was the influence that Jim had on their life. Now, it could be easy for you to think that, yeah, that was a Bible college professor. That was somebody who was really smart and worked really hard to learn things. And he was, and he is. But that influence is something that we are all called to have in the lives of other believers. The Bible tells us that we are to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Not, it doesn't just apply to preachers or professors or teachers or Bible colleges, but to all Christians that we are to sharpen one another. Having an attitude 
of service towards others. It's paramount to what I'm going to believe in my faith and how I'm going to appoint other people to Jesus. One of the stories that Y. Huxford told, I know you guys don't know all these names, but I do, so I'll use it. One of the stories that Y. told is that he remembered Jim in his classes. When he would explain something very complicated, he'd lean into his students and he'd say, are you with me? He would say, are you with me? Because he wanted to make sure that they were learning. He wanted to make sure that they were tracking along. He wanted to make sure that they were growing in what they knew about the Bible so that they could grow in what they would do for Jesus. And because it's never an academic pursuit, an academic pursuit, it's not, you can memorize the whole Bible and have it not impact your life. But where they come together is knowing what God's Word says and then going to live that out. Asking God to make His truth evident in your life so you can impact other people for Jesus. So that when your funeral comes, maybe as I like to describe it, and I think it's appropriate, there was a cloud of witnesses that Jim left behind in his life. From Y to Steve to Eddie, to Carlton, to Eric, to Bob, who all got up to speak on behalf of how much Jim Evans influenced their life for the kingdom. One of which we even went so far to say is, one of the things that Jim did for me is that he helped me realize that the kingdom of God is, is so much bigger than a couple hundred thousand middle-aged Caucasian folk, or middle-income Caucasian people. The church is so much bigger than our little tribe or our little sect, but the kingdom of God is enormous. And God has called for us to reach as many people as we can. You guys, I told you we we started with a song at Jim's service yesterday, Uncle Jim. He'd have been 85 in August, lived a great life, lived longer than they thought he would. He's had Parkinson's for the last 20 years or so. Medication helped a lot with it. You know what we sang? In the very beginning, I stand amazed in the presence. Bill chose that song for us to sing this week. I heard Alicia and Theresa playing it in the beginning. I was like, man, I'm not going to make it. Not because I'm sad, because I'm not sad. Eric said that real well yesterday, Uncle Jim's son. He said after um, they came down for his military service, went back to the church where he works. He said, one of the ladies at church said, I'm really sorry for your loss. Well, you've got to be sad. And Eric said, sad. You've got to be sad. Your dad died. He said, we're not sad. He said, we're heartbroken and we'll miss him. We're not sad. So we're not sad because of the promise that we have. That's why Paul tells us, and we hear it a lot at funerals, that Paul tells us as Christians that we're not too grieved who don't know Jesus, because we have a promise that is before us, a promise of not just this life, but a life everlasting and life to come. So for those of us as believers, we miss our family, regardless of when they die. 
and we do, and that's natural, then that lets us know just how much we cared for them. But we know that they have gained their reward. They're covered by the blood of Jesus. We sang a couple other songs um, that were good while we were there. And they were very powerful and a testament about just how real our faith is. You've probably been there before. You have those times in your life where your faith becomes very real to you where you are reminded very sharply about just how much Jesus did for you and the implications that it has on your life. That happens a lot with names. That we know that we're not just playing a game. This isn't just something that's, that's made up. This isn't just some trivia. This is real life. And what we all hope is that when people turn to speak about us when we pass away, is that there will be a cloud of people behind us that can speak about the testament that your life was to them. How you helped them to learn to care for people who couldn't care for themselves. Or maybe how you learned to provide food for people in a time of loss when they couldn't to minister and to care for them that way. Or maybe you're going to teach them how to, above everything else, that you're going to pray and pray and pray, knowing that God hears us and that God answers the prayers of his people. Imagine the influence that you will have by serving others. Carlton got up and spoke yesterday, was one of Uncle Jim and Aunt Ellen's adopted sons. Carlton came over from Jamaica, I think in the early 70s, and ended up taking some Uncle Jim's classes, and they they didn't legally, but for all intents and purposes, they invited Carlton into their home, and he became their fourth kid. And they cared for Carlton, and they taught Carlton, and they provided for Carlton, and they helped him connect with his family back in Jamaica, and he helped him understand the Word. And Carlton described one of the last times that he got to go visit with Uncle Jim at the VA hospital in Johnson City. And he said, Jim, or Daddy E, said, what do you attribute your success in ministry? Jim answered that with one word. He said, surrender. All these people that you've influenced, what do you attribute that to? And the answer is surrender. If you want to influence people in your faith, as we are called to do, maybe like Michael Jim said, what influenced him the most surrender. Carlton said, he went on to ask Uncle Jim, he said, well, what's the most important thing that I can do? You, you get pretty introspective when faced with death. And you're really careful about the questions that you ask people when it's going to be the last time you're going to talk to them. And Carlton asked him, he said, what is the most important thing that I can do? And Uncle Jim responded. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. You see, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Maybe you think I'm bragging on my uncle a little, a little bit too much, and I would say I'm not, <laughs> because there are those people, nobody's perfect. But I think what this does is these real life, they paint a picture for us about what an attitude and what a heart of service does. 
in our lives. It doesn't matter what role you have to play. Any, everybody that's a part of the kingdom of God has something to accomplish. You have something to contribute to the kingdom. You have something to contribute to other believers. You have something to contribute to people who right now are spiritually dead because they don't know Jesus yet. And what God wants to do is to use you to help them see Jesus and to help them grow in their faith. I've got another story. It's a little book by Tom Rainer, a preacher, and he likes to study the church to figure out how can we reach more people for Jesus? How can we serve other people? And he said often he's asked this question a lot on his blog and on his website, and the question is some version of this. It says, how can I be a healthy serving church member in a church where the members overall are focused on themselves? Well, the answer to that is first, obedience starts with me. It doesn't start with other people. So we can't focus on what others are or are not doing. We focus on doing what God has called for me to do. He says the preferred option is this. He says, stay where you are and become the example of a serving Christian. He says, one woman shared with me how her attitude changed when she started taking some intentional steps to serve. First, she made a commitment to stop being a critic or a judge of everything that takes place in the church. Second, her daily prayer time included a petition to God that she might have an attitude of servanthood every day. Members in the church, including those that irritated her, we might start with those. Fourth, she committed to a minimum of one hour of service through the church every week. Tom Rader says she wrote me a follow-up email seven months later after she had made this commitment to stop being a critic, to pray daily, to spend time in prayer for leaders, and to serve. Seven months later, she sent a follow-up to Tom, and these are her words. said, Tom, I've never been more joyful to be a church member. How to serve others. It's much more fun to serve than to be served. I still pray every day for my attitude, and I pray for specific people in the church every day. That has changed my attitude incredibly. I've also made certain to do something of service in the church at least one hour a week. I volunteered for nursery duty once a month at the church. Then I committed to the shut-in ministry to visit at least three persons a month. She concluded with these words. I truly have learned in action that what Jesus meant when he said that we would be first if we put ourselves last. I am last in the sense that I serve others before me. I am first in the sense that I have incredible joy coming directly from Jesus. Her final two sentences are powerful and poignant. I wish I'd made this effort years ago. I've truly learned how to experience the joy of Christ by serving. I wish I had made this effort years ago. I truly experienced the joy of Christ by serving. Friends, if you need more joy in your life, read Philippians. It's the Apostle Paul's treatise on joy when he is in prison. And he goes on to say in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, he says, have this mind about you. Have the same mind of Jesus. Humbling yourself and taking on the nature of a servant to serve other people. At Uncle Jim's service yesterday, sitting in Lilburn Christian Church, a church that Jim and Ellen helped to plant and to start, 
in a beautiful worship facility that probably seats about 400, that had an enormous stage with 50 chairs on it for the choir members. I think probably the most flattering thing of all the great things that were said about my Uncle Jim Evans was this by Carlton, his adopted Jamaican son. He said, Jim modeled what he taught. Jim modeled what he taught. Why? Because Jesus modeled what he taught. As we closed the service yesterday, we sang, we started with a stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Sang another song I don't know. <laughs> it happens, there are songs out there I don't know. And guess what? I liked it. And then we closed, and I couldn't sing the first verse, and then I just had to stop and listen to the people of God sing and praise. We sang, um, wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. The chorus of the song I hadn't heard before I wrote it down was this. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May all who come behind us find us faithful. A testament to Jesus and what he's called for us to do. We are to serve others. When you serve, you will find joy. When you serve, you will find contentment. When you serve, you will find peace. I'm going to give you a very practical right now thing to help serve. Okay? Maybe you don't want to be up in front of people, and that is great because I know there's lots of people that do not want to do that, and that's not a role for everyone. There's lots of things that have to be done, and here's just an example. We've had a faithful service group of people in the church that have got our communion ready every Sunday since forever, and we need more people. We need more teams, or a person can do it, to get our communion ready because it's something that you can do. It's something that anybody can learn how to do. But it's something that's important because we couldn't take communion every Sunday if it wasn't prepared for us. And it's also not fair to expect one or two people to have to do it for us all the time. So we need at least four people. I'd rather have 10 or 12 to do it for a month, and then you serve once a year. If you have four people, you do it for once. You have three months off, and you do it again. We need at least four new people that are not currently doing that to serve the body by getting communion ready on Sunday morning. One of the main requirements is if you're really good at washing your hands because we do that before we get our communion ready, okay? But it's something that you can do. It's something that if a parent, if your kid is old enough, you can do that with them as long as nobody's sick, okay? We're being careful. That's something that we need. It might seem pretty simple and trivial, but it is a need that we have. There's an announcement in the bulletin. If you are willing to do that or are interested in that, Lisa, wave your hand. Lisa's back there. Lisa's going to coordinate that for us. We need more people to help us get this done. That's a way for you to serve. You know, there's a bunch of other ways for you to serve in the church, but that is something that we need right now to get ready. So if you will do that, go talk to Lisa about that. She'll get it ready and get it all set up when it's your time. She'll train you and show you how it is. But consider doing it. Unless you're one of our people that's already been doing it, you, you, we need, you need a break. 
we need other people to have a chance to be able to serve. And there's lots of other stuff you can do, but that's a tangible, very real action step that you can take. Maybe you're like, I don't know what to do. I can't sing. I can't teach. And it might seem little, but when you start serving, this joy will just swell up in you in a good, good way. Let me pray for us. And if you will help with this, talk to Lisa.